As we were singing those last two songs, just first of all, the idea of God being a good, good father and how he loves us and how he um, reacts to us or interacts with us perfectly. And then thinking about how he knows everything about us in the, in the last song, that you know, that's a frightful, scary thing as well as an encouraging thing. To know that God knows every thought that I have, every um, premonition, every idea, everything that's going on in my mind, everything that I'm engaged in is a scary thing when it comes from a judgment standpoint because we know we're sinful, right? And yet, at the same time, to think about how he still embraces us, loves us, cares for us, that's the graciousness and the goodness of Almighty God that he's created us and he's created us for himself. And so thank you, Michael, for reminding us of how good of a father we have in our God. I want to invite you to take your Bible, if you will, and turn with me to Exodus 22. Exodus 22, and if you want to stick another finger in Jeremiah 22 as well. We're in a series this summer talking about faith and culture. And it's interesting, as I get older, and I'm sure it's true for you, as you get older, you begin to realize how things just kind of recycle. And wisely did Solomon say, there's nothing new under the sun. And so the faith and cultural crossroad that we find ourselves at today, it also is nothing new. It's something that has happened in in every generation, in every society, as God's people have had to learn the, the how to and the ability to traverse through every precarious type of situation on their faith journey through this fallen world. God's people have had to live out their faith in a culture that many times has been and is hostile to the things of God. And such is the culture of our nation today. We've been saying it over the last three Sundays that America, it's no surprise to anybody, but America is a deeply divided nation. We're fighting today. We're arguing today. We're contending today for what our country is going to be, what it is currently, and what it's morphing into as we move on. And in this fight or in this contention, we as the people of God, as the church, have a role to play. God has not called us to be silent. God has not commanded us to sit by on the sidelines and watch as culture passes us by. No, he's called us to be salt. He's called us to be light. We're to be those who would bring flavoring and a sense of perseverance and preservation to a decadent uh, culture. We're also to be those who would shine light into darkness and put our uh, put God's light there on the sinfulness of our nation and the things that are going on, they're displeasing to him. See, this is our biblical and our gospel mandate. We're called to be salt and light. And so as a church, we need to be the people of God who understand the times, know what's going on, know how to react to that, how to interject the word of God into the conversation and do so pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ because we know he's the only hope. We cannot legislate ourselves out of whatever predicament we find ourselves in. We cannot rely upon the courts to do that for us. We cannot rely upon the executive branch at the state or federal level. No, the hope for our nation, the hope for our culture is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Word of God that speaks into our hearts and transforms us from the inside out. So we as the people of God need to know how to, number one, view culture, see and understand what's happening in our culture, and then be able to speak into that from a gospel great commission perspective. And so in order to equip ourselves, what we're doing this summer is we're addressing six cultural areas that are 
majorly in the conversation today. We've looked at life. We've talked about race. Last Sunday, we dealt with the subject of social justice. This morning, we're going to deal with immigration. Next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about sexuality and the, and the gender confusion that's out there. And then we're going to sum up and finish this series at the end of the month looking at the environment. What does God's Word say about how we, as humans, should look, should understand, and how should we treat the environment. So we're looking at all of these subjects, but we're looking at them from the perspective of Scripture. What does God's Word say? You say, why are we doing that? Well, it's because we're people of the book, right? We believe the Bible. And we know God has spoken on all of these areas, and so we're going to look to the Bible first. We're going to look to the Bible most. doesn't mean we're going to neglect other areas or other writings or other type of uh, ologies out there that would speak to these issues, but we're going to look at the Word of God because we're the people of God, and for us to speak on His behalf into our culture, we we need to know what God's Word says and how to address that with the people. So we're not looking to win the argument necessarily, but we want to point people to the gospel and show them that God offers a better design for their lives. A better design than what the culture would say when it comes to sexuality. A better design than what the culture would say about social justice and race and and the understanding of life itself and even the environment. What does God's Word have to say? That's what this is all about. We began this series talking about the issue of life, and we discovered that human beings have intrinsic and eternal value because they're created in the image of God. I keep going back to this on purpose. I keep rehashing these things because we're building the argument each and every week, building upon what's previously been said. And so when we look at Genesis, we see that God created all that there is, and the apex of his creation was who? It was you and I. It was human beings. We're made in the image and the likeness of God. And so in that creation and how we have been created, the image and likeness of God, there is value, eternal and intrinsic value placed upon each and every human being because we bear something of the divine. There's something God-like in us. Not to say we are God, but it's to say something that there is a divinity side to us. We're made in His image and in His likeness. Therefore, we carry a value that no other aspect of creation carries, including angelic creation. So as we talk about this, we moved into discussion of how the value of life informs our understanding of race. And we understand that we can and we should celebrate the ethnic diversity in this world. Again, because God created us in His image and in His likeness. Last week we took that value of life and we saw how it leads us to to understand and to seek justice in this fallen world because our God is a just God and His justice is never arbitrary. And so we're going to see those areas that are unjust, and we're going to seek to rectify them for the sake of the gospel. This morning, we're going to see how the intrinsic and eternal value of human lives also informs us in our understanding of immigration. You know, this subject has been a hot topic for generations, right? It's decades long that we've been having this conversation of who should be in our country and who should not be in our country. It's always uh, something that comes to the forefront in political seasons, you know, the year of a presidential election or something like that. It's always that hot-button issue, and there's no different this year in 2020. In fact, it was kind of put back on the headlines this past week as our president uh, announced his new immigration measures. 
I wanted you to rest assured this morning, my objective today is not to parse every aspect or any aspect of the president's immigration policy. Uh, there's much debate over the, the idea of what government should do and how they should treat immigrants. And so let's not get tangled in those weeds this morning. That is not uh, my responsibility to hash that out for us. That's the responsibility of politicians we send to Washington. But I think we can agree on something here, right? We looked at Romans 13 last week. We talked about God's role uh, for government. And, and so I think, think we can rest assured that we can say the federal government has the authority and the responsibility to legislate or to uh, oversee the immigration concept and issue within our country. They have the authority and responsibility to regulate who's going to come in to the nation. But my objective is not to address that. My objective is to address the heart and how we perceive the immigrant who is living among us. What is our responsibility to those who do not look like us, sound like us, act like us, eat the things we eat, and yet they live next door, they live across the street, they live in their neighborhoods, they live all around us. We thankfully are a church that has had a ministry or uh, up until a year or so ago, we're heavily involved with the church plant in the Richmond area, reaching out to Persian-speaking Muslims. And so we've had a ministry trying to seek those who are not like us and seek them with us for the sake of the gospel. And so we understand, hopefully, much of what we're going to talk about this morning. But what should our heart be when it comes to the immigrant living among us? You see, the nature of the flesh leads us to look unfavorably upon those who are ethnically different than ours. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Naturally, our default position as fallen humanity is to look at those who are not like us and to think, you're not included. So we, we morph into a tribalistic sort of mentality that I'm going to affiliate, I'm going to have an affinity, uh, affiliates, what I was trying to say, you know, my, my words kind of get messed up sometimes, but we affiliate with those who are most like us, which means we also push away those who are not like us. And so the gospel would tell us to do different. See, our nature may cause us to be suspicious. It may cause us to even be prejudiced toward immigrants. But when we look at the gospel, we understand that those two things are antithetical to the great commission that's supposed to be fleshed out in our lives. We think about this, we know as we read the Word of God that Israel failed miserably on the issue of immigration. We can see that throughout the Old Testament. However, God still spoke, still instructed, still commanded His people through Moses and the prophets, and Moses specifically what we're going to look at this morning, but He taught His people how they were to live, how they were to treat others who were not like them. So look with me in Exodus 22, we're going to read one verse, move over to chapter 23, read one verse, and then in a few minutes we're going to look at Jeremiah 22. But look what God says to Israel, Exodus 22, verse 21. God says, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Look at chapter 23, verse 9. God says something very similar. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. These two repeated commands on how to treat the sojourner or the immigrant, what do they tell us? They tell us something about the heart of God. 
They tell us about God's heart for the nations. You see, Israel, as God's chosen people, they were never supposed to be a nation. They were never supposed to be a people who isolated and insulated themselves from the world. Yeah, they came into the promised land, they conquered, they pushed out other nations. That was part of God's judgment. I mentioned that a couple weeks ago, kind of tried to, to flesh that out from a biblical standpoint, why that was the case. But that was not for the, for the people of God to then build up walls and isolate and insulate themselves from the world. No, instead, what they were to do was to be a people who would be a light to the nations, that the covenant made with Abraham, the promise to Abraham that he would be the father of nations would actually be be true. It would come to fruition that the nations would hear about the God there in Israel and be drawn to his grace. And so they were to embrace the alien is what we see here and in other passages. They were to teach him about God. They were to love him to salvation. Unfortunately, what we see is they failed to follow God's commands, including the command on how to treat the immigrant. Jeremiah, the prophet, because of this, because of their failure to, to treat the immigrant well, warned God's people of the judgment coming their way for that disobedience. But he also gave them hope if they would obey the commands of God. And so if you've got your place there, in Jeremiah chapter 22, let's read verse 3. Jeremiah 22, this is speaking to the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, They're about to be conquered by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And listen to what Jeremiah says on behalf of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Now, as you read this, it's interesting that the hope he gives here involved how to treat immigrants, and he attached to this commandment a promise of the succession of kings who would continue to sit on David's throne. What Jeremiah is saying here on behalf of the Lord is this. If you will do justice, if you'll love the immigrant, if you'll be gospel-minded, then the promise to David that you'll never lack a son to sit on the throne will continue. But if you don't do that, judgment will wipe you out. And we know what happened. We know that Judah was conquered. We know they were put into exile. And we know that after that, they never fully embraced the immigrant from the gospel perspective like they should have. We see that in the hatred between the, the, the Jews and the Samaritans as we read through the gospels. But as you read here what God says through Jeremiah, do you catch God's love for the immigrant? Do you catch God's heart for those who are not a part of the quote-unquote chosen people? Do you see here how God cares not just for the physical welfare of people, but also for the spiritual welfare and the condition of these immigrants? And so what does that mean for us? It means that we as followers of Jesus, we need to understand and we need to be able to respond to the, the issue of immigration and do so with the heart of love that God Almighty has for people. And so in order to answer this question, in order to think through this subject, this morning I want to quickly give you three commands that we find here in Exodus 22 and then draw three applications as well from them. I think this will be pretty quick this morning. Command number one, you shall not, treat, you shall not cheat an immigrant. Think about that, what he's saying here. Exodus 22, verse 21, you shall not wrong a sojourner. What is he saying? Don't cheat him. Don't cheat the immigrant who is living among you. You know, if you've traveled internationally at all, you understand how difficult 
cultural and linguistic barriers can be, right? You've traveled outside of the country. You've traveled to a place, not like England, where you can still uh, uh, understand what's going on. But you've been in a nation where the language that they speak predominantly is not the language that you speak. And the culture that you're coming from is not the culture that you're going into. And if you've been in that situation, you understand the barriers that present themselves. Where the most basic things of like, I need to find the restroom. Where is it at? And you can't understand what anyone's saying. And you can't read what's on on the wall. And if they don't have a picture, you don't know where the restroom is. I've been in that situation where you're literally scrounging around trying to find it and you can't understand, you can't read, and there's no pictures, and you're just, you're stuck. Or if you're trying to order a meal and you don't understand what you're ordering, and you order something, you think it's the one thing, and it comes to your plate, and it is just terrible. I mean, it's got like slimy stuff on it and and things you think should be in the garden as far as cultivating underneath the ground, not actually on the plate. And so you know the linguistic and the cultural barriers. I remember my first overseas trip many, many years ago. I was in Haiti in the Caribbean. And so first international trip, of course, I'd been to Canada. I'd been to uh, Mexico just across the border. I don't really count those as international trips because you're barely over the line, then you kind of step back real quick. The first time really in a culture that didn't speak the language or anything that I would have been a a part of. And so I remember going out and trying to buy some souvenirs from a guy that was selling them on the street just outside of the Baptist compound, basically, that we were working out of there in Port-au-Prince. And so if I hadn't been told prior to this engagement that the the system to buy stuff in that culture, a third world culture, is that you kind of haggle back and forth. You know, the guy says, I want X dollars for it. You say, I'll give you uh, half that. And so you kind of go back and forth and you meet in the middle. If I hadn't known that, then the drum that I have in my office today that has goat skin on, it's beautiful, I would have paid five times as much for it. Why? Because I didn't understand the culture and I definitely didn't understand the language. I didn't speak Creole and I didn't know the language. And so was that guy trying to cheat me? Perhaps. He was looking for an easy 50 bucks when I ended up paying $10 for it. And so, you know, I would have been cheated. What the Word of God is telling us here is we think about the immigrant. As I, as I approach the immigrant who's living next door, across the street, across town, is that I have a responsibility to not cheat him. That's what God's telling Israel. Don't cheat the immigrant who's coming into the land. You need to treat him fairly. You need to treat him justly. You need to treat him graciously. So these language and cultural barriers, they do make it easy to take advantage of immigrants. But God's word here commands us not to do this. It instructs us to treat them fairly, respectfully, and lovingly. Second command we see here, you shall not hinder an immigrant from bettering himself. If we were to go on in this verse, he says, you shall not oppress him. Don't oppress the immigrant. Allow him to better himself. You see, just like we should not use language and cultural barriers to cheat, we should also not use those barriers to keep others on the bottom of society. We should not keep the immigrant who's living among us on the bottom rung of the ladder. We should allow them and build a system and foster a way for them to move up and to do what they're seeking to do. They're moving here because this is the American dream, to come to a place, to have freedom, to build a life for you and for your family. This is what attracts people to America. It's what makes makes America great. It's the idea that anyone can come here. Anybody can better themselves. Anyone can make something of their family. That's the great American dream. That's what we're living out in our lives. 
Bless God we've been born in this nation. We, let me just say this. We should never apologize for where we've been born. That's could use an amen right there, right? Uh, I'm not here to just God and country and all that, but we should not apologize. It's God's sovereignty and God's grace that's allowed us and caused us to be born into this nation, into this culture, and, and to make a difference here. So we don't apologize for that, but also we don't think that we're entitled and that it's only for us and that others can't come in either. We don't want to cheat the immigrant. We don't want to hinder them from bettering himself. Where do we get this sort of idea? I believe we got it from the Bible. I believe it's what we would call the Judeo-Christian ethic, and this ethic embraces immigration. And so we dare not oppress the immigrants. Instead, we should seek their welfare, we should seek their prosperity, and this brings us to a third command. You shall remember that your ancestors were immigrants. It's what he says in verse 21. It's what he says in chapter 3, verse 9. You were sojourners in the land of Egypt. He's saying, Israel, remember from where you came. Remember that you spent 400 years in Egypt. You went down there not in bondage. You came up out of bondage, but you were not nothing more than aliens in that land, and God took care of you. God prospered you, and you were immigrants. Israel was a nation who are immigrants. And we as a country, we as citizens of America, we are a nation of immigrants who have come here to better themselves. Israel was an immigrant nation who came into the promised land for a better life, to form that better life. And so the memory that God is calling them to helps them to not become comfortable, helps them to not become entitled, helps them to not be indifferent to their past, and indifferent to their future. You see, our ancestors found arms welcoming them into this land. Today, people who immigrate to this nation should also find arms that welcome them into our country. I'm not talking about policy. I'm not talking about DACA. I'm not talking about uh, whatever the, the, the issue is out there from a policy standpoint. I'm talking about from a gospel perspective, from the church of the Lord Jesus, what should our response be toward immigrants? We love them. We seek their welfare. We present the gospel to them. And that brings us to some applications this morning. How do we do this? Number one, recognize and celebrate the intrinsic and eternal value of the immigrant, knowing he or she was created in the image of God. You see, each person is created in that image of God, in that likeness of God. There's something of the divine within them. And so this reality means that regardless of skin color, regardless of eye shape, regardless of cultural background, or any other defining characteristic we may put there, we are all of the same race. There's multi-ethnics, right? There's a multiplicity of ethnicities within this world, but there's one race, the human race. I can give you, or I, I can give a, a black man, I can give a, an Asian man a, an organ in my body, and it, if they're the right tissue match and all the blood types and all that stuff, that thing will go in their, that person's body and save that individual's life and vice versa. Why? It's because we are all humans. We all have the same DNA running through our veins. We are all made in the image and likeness of God. There's nothing different between us. And so as Christians, we need to recognize that all people hold the same high value because we are in the image of God. And so we celebrate that diversity. 
the diversity that comes within God's creation as we embrace those who do not look like and act like ourselves. Second application that it moves us into. Treat each immigrant as your neighbor. Treat them as your neighbor. Now, we got to pair... Um, we got to break this out a little bit. The neighbors that you like, right? Better yet, let's put it another way. Why don't you just be neighborly to all neighbors and treat them the way Jesus would treat you or, or treat, you, treat them the way you would want them to treat you as well? And so that's what Jesus teaches us in the gospel. It's interesting. I read this recently. Jesus told a lawyer who was questioning him one day. We find this in Matthew chapter 22. This lawyer was questioning him about the law and asked him what was the greatest commandments. And what did Jesus respond? You know, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He goes on to say that these two commandments, the entire Ten Commandments and all the teachings of the prophets hinge, right? That's what Jesus said. That's, that was his response. Luke records for us in his gospel a similar situation or perhaps a more fuller description of this instance that, that Matthew speaks of. Luke talks about it in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, where a lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? He followed up Jesus' response with, okay, Jesus, if I'm to love my neighbor as myself, who's my neighbor? He was trying to catch Jesus in a, in, in a, in a situation here by asking this question. And you know what happens next, right? Jesus goes on to give a parable we call the Good Samaritan. And in this parable, Jesus talked about there was a man who was on a road, he was traveling, probably on business or something. He falls into the hands of robbers and thieves. They beat him, rob him, and leave him in the ditch for dead. And Jesus said in that parable that three different men came by. First one was a priest. There was a religious guy. He was an upstanding guy. He was a man who had a lot of clout in the culture. And seeing this man lying in the ditch, needing help on his deathbed, if you will, what does he do? He passes by on the other side, never stops to help, never stops to ask how he's doing, never stops to do anything to help this man. Another man comes by. He's a Levite, also a religious man, also a godly man, supposedly. And he does the very same thing. He passes by and never stops to care for him. And then the third man comes, and Jesus tells us who this third man was. He was not a Jew, and he was not a religious Jew. This man was a hated half-breed Samaritan. He's traveling down the road, but unlike the religious Jew, he stops and cares for the man's wounds. He binds his wounds. He picks him up, probably puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn where he can be cared for it and go through rehab. He pays for all of his expenses and says, I'll be back, and if anything else is owed, I'll pay that too. And Jesus, by telling this parable, makes it clear that everyone is your neighbor. And he makes it clear how we're to be a neighbor to those who are in need. You see, when it comes to immigrants living among us, what does Jesus teach us here? He teaches us that we should love and serve the immigrants. We should be a neighbor to everyone. We should not avoid immigrants. We should not make fun of their culture. We should not make fun of their appearance. I know um, that it's always interesting when you're out with your children and maybe you're at the mall. And you know, one of the best places I've found in the Richmond area, at least close to us, to go and just interact with other immigrants or, or learn from them is to go to the uh, West Chesterfield Town Center. I mean, you go there, and if you have kids like we do that are young, well, you can't right now because COVID's killed everything from a, from a uh, I shouldn't have said that. Um, I apologize for that. It sounds horrible. It, it's, it's inhibited us from 
allowing our kids to play in playgrounds at malls. That's what I meant to say. I shouldn't have used that expression. Um, that was the Arkansas side of me, redneck, getting out, and, and just things just fly out of your mouth. And so we're sitting there many times, you know, when we go shopping, and I try not to go there often because my, my wallet's not fat enough to go to the mall too much, and we tend to walk away with more things than we need, which is everything that, that, that's sold there. But anyway, you sit there with your kids, you're in the playground area, and, and, and so your kids are interacting, enjoying themselves, but sometimes when you walk by and your kids haven't been out and seen other people, and they've definitely not been overseas with you, they see someone who's dressed much different than we would dress or anything like that, and so they stop and stare, and you're like, oh, don't do that right? We know as adults how to get by with that in a different way. And so we're still, we still look at them funny. We still maybe poke fun at their culture, or whatever. We need to be conscious of how we approach, how we look, how we appreciate the immigrants living among us. To take it a step further, it means that we should not oppress or take advantage of them. Going back to those first two commandments, don't cheat and don't oppress the immigrant. Instead, what do we do? We should be their neighbor. We should be neighborly toward them. What does this mean? It means that I'm going to know my neighbor's names, all of them. I'm, I'm going to know their names. I'm going to get involved in their lives. I'm going to be quick to help them when there's a need. I'm going to look after their property. I'm going to care for their children like I would care for my own children. I'm going to receive them into the community where I live and where we live together. That's what it means to be neighborly. It means I don't care if they come from other side of the world. It means I don't care if I don't like the smell of their, of their, their food. I, was, I remember years ago, I was a student pastor right out of college, and um, I was a junior high pastor. So I had 7th, 8th, and ninth grade, and my, student, my part of the student ministry met on the third floor. We're a downtown church in Fort Smith. My student area for junior high met on the third floor of a three-story building. Guess who was on story one and story two of our church? the Korean church and the Vietnamese church, and guess what they would do once a month? Eat. Guess where that smell went? And it was usually some sort of fish. Just goodness gracious. You walk in on a Sunday morning, and you're thinking, uh, if we're going to have food, can we have pancakes and bacon or something like that? No, it's, it's things that I've never even heard of before. And, and it just different smells. And you think, wow, incredible. Um, those are nice things to think, think about it. It's the food, the smell was just, just terrible. But when you look at that, now I wish I could go back and rather than maybe resenting that as a young 20-something year old, now I would want to go back and say, you know what, I celebrate your diversity. I celebrate the culture you come from. Help me understand more about you. Help me understand more about your culture. Help me understand more about the way you eat and the things that you eat. Can we learn from one another? receive them into the community in which we live. Leads us to a third application. Build relational bridges with the immigrant over which the gospel can travel. It really answers the question of why do we want to receive them into, into the community in which we live. It's about the gospel. We want to receive them into our community so that we can build a bridge over which the gospel can travel. You know, I said earlier that God cares about the physical and the spiritual condition of the immigrants. Many times the spiritual condition, think about this, the spiritual condition of the human heart can only be addressed after the physical needs have been met. It's when we as the people of God see a physical need in someone else, even someone that doesn't look like us, and we seek to meet that need because we love them as a human, just like Jesus loved them as a human, and we meet the physical need, then later can meet the spiritual need. What did Jesus do that we see in the Gospels? Lepers. 
that no one would ever touch, no one would ever get close to, no one would ever come around them. They were cast out, kept outside the city. When they walked through the streets and got close to other people, socially they were supposed to yell out and and declare that they are lepers, that they are unclean so that people could avoid them. What does Jesus do? He walks up and touches them. We need to love people like that. Why? Why did Jesus do that? Because he cared more about their hearts and their spiritual condition than he cared about the grotesqueness of the rotten flesh on their body and the smell that would have come from that. None of that stuff mattered to him. He cared about their intrinsic, eternal value because they've been made by God and made for God, according to Colossians 1.16. Here's something I want you to think about. Have you considered the idea that God is bringing immigrants to America so they will have an opportunity to hear the gospel and be saved? Think about that. Uh, This is online, so I'm going to be careful what I say here, but I come from a part of the country that um, has a large Hispanic immigration uh, group. Uh, A lot of people from um, Mexico and Central America and in my part of where I come from. And so I remember growing up and and the industries in my hometown and surrounding uh, towns and areas fostered this immigration, fostered this this, um, movement of people coming up from the south, living in the area. And so today when I go back home, in many ways, I feel like it's not my hometown again because it's changed culturally so much because of that. So I remember many people pushing back against that because they're infiltrating what we have and what we've always known. That's a mentality that we have as human beings. But the gospel would cause us to to think of it differently, to look at it from a different perspective. Could it be that God uses industry, that God uses jobs, that God uses other things to bring people back to a, or into a nation, into an area so that they can hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, be saved, and then they're the missionary that takes it back to the homeland. There was an immigrant who came to visit, I guess technically not an immigrant, he was a visitor, who comes to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 8, seeking God, didn't find it in Judaism, he's headed back reading the prophet Isaiah to Ethiopia, God sends a missionary in Stephen, Stephen shares the gospel from Isaiah 53, he gets saved, and historians tell us that he's the first missionary to take the gospel to the continent of Africa. Why? Because God brought an outsider into a land to hear the gospel and to be saved. So this morning, we need to consider that our home is God's launching point for the gospel advancement among the nations. Not that we're going overseas necessarily, but God is bringing the nations to us even in our neighborhoods. So we're launching out to the nations from our address. We know the immigrants are increasingly living among us. It's nothing that should surprise us. And so how should we respond? I believe we respond with love. I believe we respond with acceptance. And we respond with the gospel because we have a great commission mindset. Living this way means you're going to learn the names of the immigrant family who lives down the street. You're going to learn their culture and invite them over for a meal with your family. You will love and accept them like other families in the neighborhood. It means you serve them in the name of Christ. It means you build relational bridges over which you can lovingly drive the gospel across. This is what our missionaries do overseas. Why are we not doing it here? We've been spending three years in Barcelona working with our our partners there, and that's their, their approach. They're 
doing things in the community to earn favor with those they're seeking to reach. And as they build these relationships, the gospel travels over. Why are we not doing that here when the immigrants live among us? You say, I live in Powhatan. There's no immigrants here. Drive around a little bit. You'll see them. Go to the stores. You'll see them. Let's build relationships. And it may not be that we have tons of immigrants in Powhatan today, but guess what? We will have more in the years to come. So let's plow the ground today. Let's build and plan for the harvest and be prepared for what God wants to do and will do through us as we seek to reach the immigrants with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I understand this issue is divisive culturally. I understand, and I would say that it's something that needs to be addressed on that level from elected officials. They are the ones who should approach it judiciously. They should approach it fairly for the good of American citizens as well as those who are seeking to come into our country. Policy, though, should not create division. It should not create skepticism amongst the church. Our responsibility is to Christ. Our responsibility is to gospel. Our obligation is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We are blessed. Think about this. We are blessed with the responsibility to welcome and serve the immigrants that God is bringing to our neighborhoods. That's our responsibility. It is our privilege to be the hands and feet of Jesus that we sing sing about earlier. Amen? As we do all of this, we can't help but remember that at one time we as well were strangers and aliens. You see, I've always been an American citizen. I was born into this country. My, my blood's red, white, and blue, right? That's not what I'm talking about. A couple of weeks ago, we were in Ephesians chapter 2, and we see how God brings Jew and Gentile together as one, Right? And it talks about how we, we're Gentiles, we were once far off. But what did God do through the gospel? He brings us near. So we were once immigrants, once seeking to immigrate into the family of God. And we were kept out, we were pushed out because we were sinners. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were alone and separated from God. But it was the gospel that allowed us to come in. It was the gospel that opened the door into the grace of God. It was the gospel that loved us unto salvation. And so when we talk about immigration, we need to understand that we too are immigrants. We got to immigrate into the family of God, welcomed into the household of God, welcomed into the loving arms of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, now we as the people of God, how could we not open our arms and love others to Jesus? And so this morning, perhaps in this room, There's someone, maybe online watching this, that's never placed their faith in Jesus. And what I just kind of laid out there at the very uh, end and talking about how we've been embraced into the family of God, that's not true of you. You've never come into the family of God. You've never experienced forgiveness of sin. You've never experienced the grace of God. And today you can experience that. It's simply you calling upon God, confessing your sin, actualizing or, or acknowledging your need for Jesus, and he will transform your life. We could go around the room and testify to how Jesus has changed most of our lives. I wouldn't say all, but most. Today, maybe you need that. So I would encourage you in just a moment, take your phone or on your computer, send us a message. You can send us an email. Send us a direct message through Facebook. Take your phone out and, and, and go to our website. Hit the Contact Us button and just lay out there a prayer need or say, I want to place my faith in Jesus. I want to believe or whatever the decision the Lord will be leading you to. But here's something else I want you to consider. As a Christian, 
Has God said something to your heart about how you look at those and treat those who are not like you? It could be that you've never said a harsh word, you've never done a bad act toward an immigrant or, or anything like that, but you think a certain way. Your thoughts are a little bit leaning toward the prejudice side or, 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 or the skeptical side. And so rather than saying, man, I want to get to know you because you're a human being and you're made in the image of God and you have the value of God upon you, instead of thinking that way, you, you want to keep them at arm's length. And if people are always at arm's length, you can never love them like Jesus loves them. You can never share the gospel with them and bring them into the family. So this morning, maybe you're the believer and you're struggling with your view on immigrants and immigration. God is touching your heart this morning. How do you respond? Repentance and faith. Lord, this is the way I've always thought. It's wrong. I confess it. Lord, forgive me. Help me now to walk in your love and to love others as I would have them to love me. That's what we do. And then you go and do it. You're not going to be perfect at it, but you're going to grow in that. Learn from others who are doing it. But we need to love the neighbor who's living next door, regardless of skin color, regardless of culture. We love them because God's called us to love them. Let's pray. Michael, if you want to come, and we're going to sing a song. This is time for us to respond to the Word of God. You know, anytime we're under the teaching of the Word, we should always respond. In fact, here's what you always do. You always respond. Yes, Lord, I'm, I hear what you're saying. I, I, I respond to that in faith. I respond in, in, in confession and repentance. Lord, I understand the need in my life, and I'm responding in the affirmative. I believe what you're saying. Or you're going to do the other, and you're going to dismiss it. Many times, this is what we do. That was a great, great sermon, Pastor, and it never went any deeper that, than that in your heart. This is a message that needs to touch our hearts this morning needs to touch how we think about, how we view others, how we interact with them. So what's our response this morning? Do you need a relationship with Jesus? Call out to him. Do you need to grow in your love of those who are living around us? Call out to Jesus and walk in faith in that area. Let's pray. Father, this morning we're grateful that we have a God who seeks out the stranger and the alien. God, we realize and we acknowledge that what you say in Ephesians 2 about us in our sin, we were strangers and aliens, separated from the commonwealth of Israel, separated from the family of God because we were dead in trespasses and sins. But we thank you. But Ephesians 2 tells us that regardless of our situation, there's a but in there. But God, rich in mercy, loves us, is gracious toward us, and has called us to faith. This morning I pray for those in this room, those watching online who have never yet come to that place in their own life. Lord, today they're dead in their sin. They're separated from you. God, I pray that you draw them to faith in the Lord Jesus this morning. Help them repent of that sin. And Lord, for us as believers, grow us in our love for others. Grow us in our affection for the immigrant living among us. Lord, I pray you would challenge us in this area. God, help us to repent of, of anything and any action, any thoughts that we've had in, in the past. And Lord, help us to tune our hearts and our minds to the Great Commission and how it would influence that viewpoint going forward. Lord, receive our prayers this morning. Receive our confession. Receive our repentance. Receive and give us faith this morning. 
we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing. Let's sing.